Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Ethan Fawcett, and I'm a ministry resident here at Rolling Hills. Today, we're coming to the close of our series, Refine. Throughout this series, we've been taking a deep dive into the seven deadly sins, and in today's message, we're looking at the seventh and final sin, pride. In Proverbs 16, we read that pride comes before destruction. If we aren't constantly on alert and aware of where our hearts are, pride can slowly infiltrate many aspects of our lives. So to combat this sin of pride, we can grow in another way, in our humility. Our hope is that today's message will challenge and equip us as we continue to grow to be more like Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. As I was introduced, I am often known as Kelly Minter's father. Uh, We're trying to change that now that I'm down here, but uh, so good to be here. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter. I want to thank Nick for inviting me to come and speak this morning. We're going to continue in this series of Refine, but before we dive in, you might notice that your little handout here doesn't have any fill-in-the-blanks. That's because I'm not a fill-in-the-blank kind of guy, all right? Nothing wrong with it. I think it's great, but you have to have your message done by Wednesday. I don't do my messages by Wednesday. So when I came down here, I said, I can't do the -the fill-in-the-blank thing. It's just blank, and you can fill it in, all right? So uh, I do my messages on Sunday morning. I always have. I think and pray during the week, but I put it together on Sunday mornings, and so... You'll notice that when I preach this morning. Here we go. Luke chapter 18. I want you to look down, if you would, at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in verse 9. It says, and following. Here's what it says. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I have. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat on his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we behold wondrous things out of your law, and that you be the one to receive all the glory, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. We've been looking at this series of messages uh, dealing with the seven deadly 
sins that arose many, many years back as people were looking at this. And we have lust, sloth, greed, wrath, gluttony, envy, and today, pride. Now, let me start off by telling you this. Um, and I've given this a lot of thought. All of us, from time to time, have lost sleep over those first six. We know when our next-door neighbor gets a brand-new BMW, and we are envious, and we struggle sleeping because of our envy. We know when we've eaten too much, and we can't sleep because we've been gluttonous. We know when we didn't finish that project yesterday because of our sloth. We know that we got angry at somebody and we can't sleep because of that. No matter what it is, even greed, we realize, boy, I spent all that money just on myself and didn't consider anybody else. So there is an internal battle with those. But I guarantee you, I can at least say this for myself, I've never gone to bed and had trouble sleeping because I was prideful. I have never said, oh, Mike, you're just filled with pride, and I, I just can't sleep. Never done that. And here's why. Pride blinds us to the fact that we're proud. Now, I'm going to say several things here. I, um, through the years when I was preaching up in, in Reston, Virginia, I don't know how many years back, probably 20 years or so, I used to take every message that I gave and I would distill it into what I call a tagline. That would be a tagline. Pride blinds us to our pride. I'll probably hit a couple of more. In other words, so that people, they may forget everything else I've said, but hopefully they'll remember at least one or two of the taglines. So that is one. Let's take a look at this particular text here and note the, the pride. And pride is very hard to define. It's not easy to define. It's very nuanced. And... I remember Jesus' words in, in the Gospel of John where he says, without me, you can do nothing. So if I think I can do something, and Nick just brought this up a moment ago, if I think that I can actually live my life my way, then that is pride. So I would, I would say that pride literally is this idea that I don't need God. But it, but it, it plays out in many other areas. Look at what this, this says. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. All of us probably know what a Pharisee is. We, we automatically think of a Pharisee as being somebody who is self-righteous, and some of them were, but not all of them. Not all Pharisees were self-righteous, but certainly some were, and those are, those are the ones that Jesus got after because of their pride and so on. And this particular account, this parable, sort of shows that. It brings that out. And so here is this Pharisee who is self-righteous, particularly in this particular parable. Now, a tax collector was considered the worst of sinners, which is why you see in Scripture sinners and tax collectors. They were in a separate category of sin. They were the most wicked, evil people in that particular society, ripping people off. And so you have two extremes going up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, very righteous, and the other a tax collector. Notice what it goes on to say. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. <laughs> He's not praying to God. He says, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. Here's what I don't do and here's what I do. And then we see the, we see the tax collector broken in coming to the realization of his need for a Savior. And so he smites his breast, stands off by himself, and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. little four-point outline there. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went home justified or declared righteous rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you notice in the Sermon on the Mount and other teachings of Jesus, everything, literally everything in the kingdom is upside down. We humble ourselves to be exalted. We give to get. We die to live. We lose our life to find it. We serve to lead. Everything is upside down in kingdom living. And this is important because in kingdom living, if we are living this upside-down lifestyle, it's very, very clear to a lost world that we belong to a completely different world. And here's another little tagline, and it is this. The gospel is best communicated when the conviction of those who believe it can be observed by those who don't. The gospel is best conveyed best shared when the conviction of those who believe it can be observed by those who don't. And so we see in this parable here, this is, a, a, this is the real revelation of, of pride, tremendous revelation of pride. But when we think of, of, of never struggling with, with thinking about pride, going to bed every night, not, not wrestling, wrestling with other things, but we're not aware that pride is just bubbling out of us, it literally runs the world. Pride runs the world. When you look at what is taking place right now uh, over in Ukraine, you see every, every nation is proud of, its, of itself. And when I use the word proud, there's nothing wrong with saying to your son or daughter, I'm so proud of you the way you played that game. You just simply mean affectionately, I, I, I think you did a great job. The Bible pride is, I'm better than other people. Bible pride is looking down on. Bible pride is exalting self above God. Bible pride is saying, I don't need God. <clears throat> totally different area. So when we look at this, we, we, we see these, these statements here that are made, and so many in Scripture that deal with the subject matter of pride, that it's interesting to note that the Internet is a platform for the greatest pride there is. I know the internet is a necessary evil, if I could use that expression. But, you know, we have ways of having the internet deliver our pride. Oh, I didn't get as many likes. Oh, nobody likes me at all. Now I'm depressed. The internet is a place of displaying our pride and receiving prideful things, feedback, and so on. It's... It, Pride is a huge insecurity within the human soul that is longing to find something outside of the person of Christ. All sin flows out of pride. 
every single sin. If I, in any way, if I sin, I'm basically saying, Lord, I'm defining good and evil myself. I don't need to listen to you. I'll overeat or I'll get angry. I'll do what I want to do. I'm, I'm basically saying I don't need you. And that ultimately is pride. This parable here is simply a way of defining by way of parable coming alongside of to show or to demonstrate two dynamics. The dynamic of a person that's looking down on others and the dynamic of a person that admits his great need for God. So we see this and it's so beautifully borne out. When I, when I think of, of, this, of this whole subject, it's so, it's so big because when I say that all sin comes from it, um, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, it tells us. Or only by pride comes contention. Listen to that. Only by pride comes contention. So if you have contention with your neighbor, somebody in church, a wife, a sibling, a friend, wherever there's contention, somebody is proud. Somebody's proud. So when I look at what's going on right now in the world with Ukraine, we have a very proud leader in Putin. And, and when, you, when you look at this, think of what pride will do. I want to be known as a powerful leader. And if it means killing thousands of people, I don't care. That's how far pride goes. Now, now I'm going to tell you something here a little bit in advance. And you can say you heard it here first because I want the glory. Um, here it is. Here it is. You know that China and Russia are really cozying up to one another. But President Xi in China is eventually going to become very jealous of Putin being on the world stage as the top leader. And you will see his jealousy flare up. I guarantee you right now he's looking in his rearview mirror and thinking, I don't want them getting all the attention. I want the attention. It's human nature. The Bible tells us that. And so you're, you're going to see some tension between those two before this whole thing is over. Pride literally runs the world. It, 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 it runs everything. It, it's, I think of all the nations, all the battles in every single area. There are signs of pride, and I think this is important because we don't normally think of ourselves as being proud, and yet we know that six things the Lord hates, but he, but he says a haughty look. We are trained to look haughty today. They're, they're just the looks on, on, on advertisements of people that have a proud look advertising whatever it happens to be. Pride, pride is exalted in our world. Uh, we're, 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 we, we, we look at it as a virtue in many respects, and God does not see it that way at all because it leaves him out of the picture. God doesn't mind if, if man does great things. What he minds is being left out of the picture and not being the one who is exalted through those great things. That's the problem. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, for a moment, over to Colossians, the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at a, at a text here in just a moment. But let me talk about some of the signs of pride. Signs of pride. 
seeing others as worse than ourselves, looking down at other people. And here we see it in this particular parable, the Pharisee. It says those that trusted in themselves, all right? About four years ago at our church back home, I addressed, I had to, the title of the message was The Gospel and Sexuality because of the sexual revolution, all the things that were happening and the mess and and just confusion and the Supreme Court's ruling on marriage, everything. So I I had to address it. I I couldn't just let it go. And I told our people in advance that I was going to address it so I knew that we would have a number of people coming that were on the other side of the fence as to my view of marriage and sexuality and gender and all those kind of things. But I opened with this. I said, I know that some of you don't agree with the scriptures or my particular view, but we're glad you're here. We're thankful for you. We don't look down on you because every single one of us in this sanctuary is sexually broken, emotionally broken, spiritually broken, physically. We're all broken. So we're on a level playing field. And then I, that helped break down the resistance or us looking down on them as though we're better, and that's the narrative that is out there right now. Christians are known as narrow-minded, intolerant bigots living on the wrong side of history, and we got to change that. We have to change that because sometimes we can look proud and look down on others. So looking down is one. Comparing ourselves. The Bible says it's not wise to compare yourself with other people. We start comparing ourselves when we're about five or six years old. Well, we, we, begin to, we begin to realize right away whether as, we're as fast as the other kids or as smart as the other kids or as tall or short or whatever. There's little comparisons that start at about the age of five, and they run all the way through life. We begin to look and we begin to see how other people are, and, and those are all insecurities. They're insecurities, and we start comparing ourselves, and we don't feel good about ourselves. These are all elements, subtle elements of pride just easing out. Uh, the, the difficulty of admitting wrong is another problem. Many times, you know, if you've just casually offended somebody, you can say, hey, really, I'm sorry about that. I apologize and so on. But if you've really hurt somebody in your family or in business or in church or whatever, if you think that asking forgiveness is easy, you've probably never asked forgiveness in the right way. If you've hurt somebody, you don't just say, hey, hey, sorry about yesterday, sorry about the way I, you know, sorry about that I gossiped about you. You need to look that person in the eye and say, the way I spoke to you yesterday, the anger that came out of me yesterday was so wrong, and I would like to ask your forgiveness for what I did. That's hard, because all the pride has to be gone in order to do that. And I remember the first time I heard that years and years ago, about 40 years ago, I thought, man, that's hard, because I've always been able to just sort of sweep it under the carpet. Hey, sorry about that. Hey, didn't mean to, you know. uh, And then using some sort of an excuse for why, rather than looking the person in the eye, particularly your children if they're young or your grandchildren or whatever, and getting down and saying, I was so wrong for what I did. Because if you don't, people will remember it. If you ask forgiveness and receive the forgiveness, they'll forget it. That's how life is. But pride keeps us from doing that. Pride is a, is, a, is, a, is a monster. Fishing for compliments. 
uh, is also another, another element of pride or a, or a trigger for pride. Uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll want people to say nice things about us, and so we, we will sort of throw something out in order to get some kind of feedback. And that is so true and maybe even more true in ministry than just about any place else. And I'll, I'll tell you why. This is a stage. Do you know what people do on stages? They perform. That's what stages are. Does a worship team perform? Does a pastor perform? The one thing, and I would have never, ever, ever come on staff at Rolling Hills if I had not observed Jeff Simmons' life for about the last seven or eight years, traveling the Amazon. Jeff, and I'm not trying to exalt Jeff, just as long as Jeff doesn't exalt Jeff, all right? He has demonstrated so much humility. It has flown down into the staff. I've seen it all throughout the staff. I'm seeing it in the church, and it's a real demonstration of a man exalting the God that he believes in and not drawing things upon himself because this area right here, and I told my daughter years ago, Kelly, when I knew she was going to start, you know, moving up the ranks and all the music and everything else, I told her, I said, the stage is seductive. Be very careful. And we see it, I, I read about it, huh, Oh, because I'm in ministry, I, I, I read the things that are going on in ministry, and you just see one pastor after another going down the tubes, and it's not always a moral issue. It's often a pride issue where the elders or the leadership team, whatever, says, we can't take it any longer. You're trying to become a brand name. You're trying to exalt yourself, and there's a huge temptation to do that, huge temptation to do that in ministry. How many of you have ever heard this expression? Here's another little sign of, of, uh, of pride. How many of you have ever heard the expression, a humble brag? Anybody? A couple of you? Here's a humble brag. I wish I hadn't bought that, bought that Ferrari. That, please keep pulling me over. <laughs> See, I, I'm humbled that I'm, oh, I'm always getting pulled over. I have to let you know I have a Ferrari. I wish I wouldn't keep moving up the ranks in business. It just gives me too many responsibilities. See? It's that subtle, that subtlety. I wish I weren't so good looking. People keep checking me out all the time. <laughs> that kind of thing. That's why I wore my favorite shirt. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but you see, those are all subtle things. And they creep out. And we don't even know they're there. Because pride blinds us to our pride. Gluttony doesn't blind us to gluttony. Jealousy doesn't blind us to jealousy or envy. Uh, anger doesn't blind me to my anger. But pride blinds me to my pride. And I think the reason it does is it, 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 it is the stage. It, it, it is the, the very place that everything began with Adam and Eve. Uh, we see Satan appealing to their pride. You won't surely die. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like God. God. Well, you're made in the image and likeness of God, but to say that you're going to be like God, that you're going to have the authority of God, it was pride. And that's how everything fell. And because of that, because of that being really the first sin in so many respects, and since everything gives birth after its own kind, this flowed into all of humanity. Everybody comes into this world 
with a certain manner of pride. Um, clothing. Here's an interesting one. If you go through Scripture, you will find that clothing is used to cover ourselves, modesty. It is used to identify people in the military or a priest or whatever. It is used to protect us from the cold and, and, and so on, those types of things. There's about four different reasons for why clothing is given in Scripture, maybe five. None of them have anything to do with fashion. And that's all you see in, about clothing. Nothing wrong with being fashionable, nothing wrong at all. But when that becomes the issue, the thing, then we're missing something. Take a look at Colossians chapter 3. I want you to notice this. Here's what it says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, this, this is, excuse me, 312, 312. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let's pause there. Clothe yourself. How many times do we look in the mirror to make sure we look right or have the right outfit or, or, or whatever so that we present ourselves well, but there's no mirror to look into to say, am I being humble? Am I clothed? Why does he even use the term clothe yourself? It's the idea of just putting this on. And suppose, just suppose, just suppose this one verse was lived out by every single Christian or every church was characterized by love, gentleness, kindness, compassion, humility, patience, forgiveness. Just this, just this couple of verses. Nothing else, just this. If this was the only thing that was in the Bible and churches lived this out, you'd have people pouring in. Because ultimately people, they may not know they're proud, but they recognize humility. And humility is an extremely powerful force. And I'll tell you why. Because God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And grace is a powerful, powerful force. How do I know? 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, I labored more than all of them, and yet not I. It was the grace of God that did the laboring. Paul took it all off from him, all of his skill, all of his abilities, and so on, and he said, it was God's grace that did the laboring. So as we humble ourselves, we get grace to live out the Christian life. We get grace to do what we need to do, because Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I've heard atheists say things like, oh, what do you mean? Without him, I can do nothing. I'm doing something right now. Look at I'm, I'm talking, I'm doing, I don't need him. But what you realize is two things, Mr. Atheist. Without him, you can do nothing. You don't realize that what you're actually doing is because he has given you that ability. Deuteronomy tells us that. Who, how did you build these houses? Wasn't it me that gave you the ability to do this? So he gave you the ability, whether you knew it or not. And as you do things without him, they count for nothing because they don't count for eternity. And if it doesn't count for eternity, it doesn't count. It counts to a degree temporally, but it doesn't really count in the long haul, the long, the long reach. So here's this, passion, this incredible verse. So how do we conquer 
this giant, this enemy of pride. And I gave this quite a bit of thought. And this came to me as I was driving here this morning at about a 30-minute ride. And I kept thinking about how, how, do I, how do I get rid of this thing that I don't even know I have? It comes out with me fishing for compliments and humble brags and all the things that sort of come out of my being. How do I, how do I de defeat a monster I can't even see and don't even recognize that I have because it blinds me to the fact that I have it? How do I do this? Pride is deflated when God gets the glory. There's your third tagline, I guess, this morning. And here's, here's where this came to my mind when I was driving. 1 Corinthians 15, no, 1 Corinthians 10 says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Now, we can be overly self-righteous and somebody, oh, may God get all the glory. Yes, I cooked that meal. Oh, may God get all the glory for the meal. No, you don't have to do that. But deep down, it's the recognition of I've got the ability to create this meal or sing or speak or do this or whatever, and it all came from God. That I, I, can't, take any, I can't take any pride in it. It all comes from God. And so pride is deflated when I give God the glory, when I deep down give God the glory for whatever ability or skill or anything that he has given me because it came from him. And so when he gets the glory, my pride is deflated. But if I don't give him the glory, my pride is exalted. And so even in preparing for this, the last few mornings I've been getting up and starting my day by saying this. I'm not saying everybody has to do this. Lord, I realize that without you, today, I can do nothing. And if I can start my day that way, if I can start my day that way and really have my focus on the fact that every challenge, every difficulty, every painful situation I come into, I've got to face it with, with Christ at my side as the only one who can solve it. I can't solve anything. You know, people come into my office for counseling, and I'll tell them right up front, I can't fix your problem. But let me introduce you to the one who can. Because I don't, I don't know what's going on inside. I don't know what all your struggles are. I, I, I can't. But, but here's, here's what you need to know. So when I look at this, I'm, I'm reminded that, um, that the beauty of, and I'll just, I'll just read this to you. Um, I'm, I'm going to be in, first, in Flip, Philippians chapter 2. But I just, just, just listen to these words. And here is the Lord Jesus, speaking of the Lord Jesus. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, that's pride, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now listen carefully to these words. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing or emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him above others. This section in Philippians is one of the key passages to turn to because what you have here in this text is the highest person submitting themselves to the lowest place so that we can be raised to the highest. The mystery of the gospel is that the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. That's the mystery of the gospel. And you see this here. Everything is played out in here. I don't know, I know a few of you here, but I don't know all of you. And there's no way for any of us to get rid of this monster called pride if we don't first humble ourselves before God and demonstrate the clear need that we have for salvation. I was traveling around Europe in 1970, June of 1970, with a friend of mine, and I was an extremely, extremely religious person. I had a spiritual letter sweater as long as you could see. I, I checked off all the boxes. I was just the most wonderful guy you'd ever met, at least according to Mike Minter, all right? And so I'm over in Europe, and my friend says, and he knew that I was not a believer. He handed me a Bible, it was a New Testament, called Good News for Modern Man, put out by Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And he said, I want you to read the Gospel of John. Okay? So we had a Eurail pass. We're traveling all around Europe. And by the time we get to Copenhagen in Denmark, I'm finished reading the Gospel of John. And he says to me, what have you learned? And I said, well, over and over again, it says believe. It doesn't say believe and do this and this and that. Just, just believe. And he said, that's right. And I don't even remember what I did, but he remembers my testimony better than I remember my testimony. But he says, I got on my knees and called upon Christ to save me. I emptied out all of what I thought was such great stuff that Paul says is rubbish, and I put my full faith, confidence, and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my prayer for you today is if you have never done that, I don't know all of you, it's simply, it, it, it's this. It's called the great exchange. It's the realization that my righteousness will in no way ever impress God at all. I've got nothing to offer God. No matter how many times I go to church or how good I am or whatever. But when I put my faith in Christ, His righteousness, His perfection is placed to my account. And all my sin goes to him. For God hath made Christ who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when you stand before God, I trust you'll be able to stand before God with his righteousness, clothed in his righteousness, not yours, all right? And when you do that, when you believe that message, you pass from death unto life. And it's only pride that keeps us from doing that. It's pride that says, no thanks, 
I'll work this out my way. No thanks, I'll do it my way. No thanks, I'm a good person. I go to church, I'm sure God will let me in. In the book of Jonah in chapter 1, when Jonah says, you've got to throw me overboard so that you might live, it says, nevertheless, the men kept rowing. He was the only way out as a representation of Christ, and the men said, no thanks. Nevertheless, they kept rowing, and then it says this, but they could not. They were trying to row to shore. They were trying to save themselves, but they could not. And once he was cast over, then they understood. And I trust you'll understand the gospel because it's the most important truth that has ever been given to man. And only by pride will it ever cause us to resist it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these dear Dear people, this wonderful church, I thank you, Father, for the privilege to be able to preach today, and I would ask that no one would leave here without calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save them, to give them everlasting life. And now, Father, I pray that you would dismiss us with your grace and give us a day that we could use that grace and tap into that grace. We would be used wisely for your glory, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of our Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it or share it with some friends. You can also check out some of our other podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcasts, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful for you.